Welcome back. Today we are with Dan Ebert. This is a man who runs Block Blue Light, the company that kindly sent me um, some blue light blockers and a red light box, which frankly I was skeptical about. And I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna, uh, this is a bit of a bit of a difficult one because I don't think I'm gonna really get much much benefit from this stuff. But I tested the data. I tracked my my sleep and my um, blood tests and quite a few different markers and did find an improvement. And actually I've gone from skeptic to raving fan. So the the thing that I was most pleased about with speaking to Dan is that he really knows his stuff and he only sells the stuff that he uses himself and the stuff that he can get behind. And, and he's got reams of data to support the efficacy of the things that that he recommends. He sent me a Google sheet with, I think, about 3,000 studies of uh, of trials that have been done on light therapy in general, so restricting blue light or red light box. And it's su- so surprising seeing that there is so much more data behind this stuff than I'd realised. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. So, Dan, thank you for coming on. I'd love to dig into some of this stuff. Yeah, no worries. Nice to be here. Um, and just to correct you, it's about 6,000 studies now. <laughs> it is a growing, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, when, when you really start to dig into it. Um, yeah, it's a big rabbit hole to go down. It's a rabbit hole that I didn't think existed. I, I would have thought maybe there's five or six good studies on this stuff, but it's, uh, it's a real untapped, uh, it, it's a real gold mine. Yeah, absolutely. So what got you into this stuff in the first place? Yeah, well, my, my story is quite interesting. Um, it, it, mine, mine really starts when I got into um, out of university and started my corporate career um, and I was starting out in IT so that, and that, that involved essentially going and working in a high-riser building um, under artificial light all day and then looking at screens all day and then um, essentially going home and doing changes all night because the, the grad gets all lumped with all the, the after-hours work and um, I considered myself a relatively healthy guy back then. I was taking care of my health, getting into to fitness and, and the gym and, and weightlifting and relatively healthy diet. But very quickly, um, my health started to degrade quite badly and I couldn't work out why for, for so long. Um, and so the, the first thing was insomnia kicked in, um, quite severe to the point where it was getting kind of like three hours a night. And um, the, the first thing I did naturally is just went to my GP and said like, hey, I, my health, I'm not feeling great. My health, my sleep's going downhill. And <laughs> that spiraled things out of control even further because the cocktail prescription drugs that were thrown my way, um, all, all sorts of off-label sort of antipsychotic, antidepressants, all sorts of things. And they ultimately didn't help at all. They actually made things worse. And it got to a kind of a breaking point where I just, you know, I had a, quite an analytical mind and was like, how do I problem solve this? So I guess what what I tried to do is work out what changed. Like, 
you know, I was continuing to eat healthy and continuing to exercise, and that's actually probably something that I should have stopped doing, <laughs> to be honest, because my body was in such a stressed state from lack of sleep. Um, but yeah, and, and what I realized straight away is it just light bulb moment, excuse the pun, but like, um, was just like, holy shit, it's light. Like, and I kind of went deep into the research then, this is, this is about seven, eight years ago now, and stumbled across the work of a, a neurosurgeon in the US called uh, Jack Cruz. And <laughs> that was a huge rabbit hole I went down to understand that how light impacts our biology. Um, and was like, whoa, okay, like this is some, there's something here. So essentially what I did at that point was trawl the internet for a set of safety glasses that would remove the spectrums of blue light. Because that was kind of what I un- understood was that I was just blue light toxic. So blue lights from from your screens, your all the LED and fluorescent lighting. It's very very high and very um, narrow bandwidth of blue light frequencies. That's essentially a frequency that triggers in the brain wakefulness. Um, the sun emits blue light, so we're wired from a biological standpoint to be awake um, under blue light. So your cortisol levels come up, and what's supposed to happen is when the sun sets, that's all supposed to um, blue light's supposed to go away, and that's a trigger for the for you to release melatonin. But obviously that gets suppressed, so your cortisol remains elevated chronically. Your melatonin stays bottom bottomed out, and you don't sleep. <laughs> and that that was essentially the situation I was in. So essentially ordered in some safety glasses that blocked 99% of blue light um, to to just give it give it a try. And within a week, I was like, holy shit, that's it. Like that's this is, I've, I've found the issue here and it took a good like six months to reverse and get feeling better again like I by this point I was about a year in, in and I wasn't training in the gym anymore I was you know hormones were pretty rock bottom um so that that was a really a turning point for me and I guess from that point I was like why does no one else know about this like mm-hmm. um I consider myself like this I was like considered in our group of friends like this health nut that was into like exercise and like eating well and stuff. And I was like, but because that's all I thought. That those were the pillars of health, right? Exercise and eat well, and you'll be healthy. Don't worry about anything else. So the whole stress piece even came into it later, where I was like, oh, like you can't train like seven days a week at the gym and like do like two-hour sessions without having like some consequence. So, um, yeah, at that point I was like, well, I, I needed like start a business like I was like I need like no one else knows about this stuff so essentially what I started doing is importing those exact safety glasses and selling them online so this is seven seven years ago the e-commerce back then was relatively new so I just yeah just pretty much side hustle just um yeah just didn't really do much for too long but during the during the last I guess from that point to where we are today it just deep into the research on light, how it impacts our biology, and just really understanding and then trying to develop products well beyond a set of safety glasses that can aid us in getting um, more of the beneficial light and and less of the what we deem har- oh, harmful light, which is art- the artificial light. So, um, yeah, so we kind of developed a whole range of different glasses with different fil- filtering specifications. You've kind of touched on that 
before from those other glasses I sent you. Um, moving into lighting though, that was where we really saw a big um, kind of idea because it was like we're putting these glasses on right to to filter out the harmful light around us. And I was like, well, hold on a minute. What happens if we just we don't admit that light to start with? <laughs> like, you know, instead of trying to like block it or filter it. So that's where we kind of started moving into a whole suite of lighting products, literally so you could change out all the lights in your home. Um, a belief would, for most people was like the blue lights all from the screens and I've got to protect, you know, the screen glasses. But the actual basic, biggest exposure you've got is all the lights in your home. Like that's what everyone turns on at night, right? It's the screens are a problem, but the biggest, the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit is if you can remove that exposure out of your main lighting in your home, you're, you're, you're at least getting a, a significant portion of the um, blue light, light exposure out. So we moved into that and that's spent a lot of research there. And then red light therapy came on my radar, I would say about about three to four years ago um, and yeah at this point there's probably one about a thousand to two thousand studies I was like whoa this is interesting like the blue light stuff I'm looking at we're not <laughs> we're talking maybe you know a handful of studies you know and that's but that's growing now as we but like we're not in the thousands I was like this is crazy like um, so yeah from that point we really started to, to, to look into it um, the there was probably one company offer, offering them at that point in time. And some things didn't even stack up then when I was kind of looking at the research and because um, what was in the research and what's been done in academic studies and what's available to the public as a device were very different things. Um, you know, they've got medical grade devices that have actually been created for these studies versus um, what first started is the, the products being released were essentially LED grow lights <laughs> as where you know as a repurposed grow lights and um, when you looked at what what they were emitting in terms of power and irradiance and wavelengths great for growing plants but are they actually going to align to the to what's what's in the the academic journals here in the studies so yeah from that point we we spent a lot of time actually understanding what we would like to see in a, in a red light therapy device. Um, but if I even go back further, I guess it was more like what I understood from red light therapy, because what is it, I guess, is the question, like what is it doing? And Because um, essentially when you look at a spectrum of light, and this is what was a, a very big aha moment for me as well, was you've got blue light down one end of the spectrum, which is the, the very short, narrow wavelengths, um, which are very powerful and strong and can penetrate, and, and they kind of break down. So like blue light on the skin will cause damage to the skin over time if it's isolated by itself. Red light is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. It's a, it's a um, longer wavelength. It's a more healing wavelength. So when you go out in nature, it's balanced, right? Everything's balanced. So like blue light is like the damaging wavelength. Red light is like the healing wavelength. You put it together, it's like nature's antidote, right? And it's it's all in balance. The issue we've got is we're like so out of balance that we get all this blue light with no red constantly day in, day out. So like red light therapy is like the balancing of that, trying to like bring enough red light back into your environment to balance it all out because you're just constantly getting the breakdown and the damage from blue light and none of the healing from the red light. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where we, 
understood and that's why it kind of suited our our company very well because we were kind of so focused on the removal of how we kind of get rid of this um, harmful artificial light but we didn't really have any focus on well how do you actually start incorporating the beneficial wavelengths back in back into your environment um, you know the simple answer which some people say is well you just go outside more you just need to get more sun but ultimately is that practical in today's world like I get I get it is like I I would love to spend eight hours a day outside but we we've all got to earn a living most of us live and have got to work inside so it's kind of now how can you utilize technology in good ways to like counteract that that indoor lifestyle yeah <clears throat> that's a that's a really fascinating story and you can always tell a founder who has wanted to solve his own problem and then gone down the route himself because it, it's clear that you very much stuck to your core values and are solving the original problem that that you had and it's mad that you were put on antipsychotics and all sorts before um identifying that oh actually there's a very clear deficiency and i guess that it must have been a, a great moment when the penny dropped and you were like well i'm in this kind of blocked off room from all natural light staring at screens all day and then when i stopped doing that or i put the safety glasses on I start to notice an immediate improvement. It's always so. I, I find it really satisfying with a patient as well. If if they have a clear deficiency in something and you correct it, and you see all the other markers just improve because the body can finally operate as it's supposed to. Um, and it's also an interesting point that you said there of this isn't biohacking because and, and I I kind of f- frivolously used the word biohacking at the start, but. <laughs> I really think that it's the other way around. I think what we're doing in modern life is the hacking, but in a negative context. You know, we we are the ones who have made all these screens and monitors and shut ourselves off from daylight day to day. And we've we've pulled out these specific harmful wavelengths of light and restricted ourselves from the, the helpful ones. And that's we've created a deficiency in ourselves. And as you say, it's not practical to just say, oh well, let's just return to nature. I was spending 60, 70 hours in a hospital per week where there's no windows and it's blue lights and, you know, obviously terrible for the patients as well. But you're thinking, how how do you then find time to try and counteract that? So mm-hmm. I very much do see it as you as you do, which is we're correcting a deficiency rather than adding in a new kind of biohack to take the body into some kind of um, super physiological state. Yeah, yeah, essentially just trying to bring things back to neutral, right? <laughs> yeah, in a in a way that doesn't involve going back to caveman days and living it. It's more how do we reset to neutral in the twenty first century in a practical way? Why do you think no one's talking about this? Ah, uh, good question. Good question. I guess <laughs> um, it's it's very much talked about in the biohacking circles, right? The natural health circles, but is it talked about in mainstream? Well, I guess the issue with it, controversially, is there much profit in it? You know, if I sell someone a red light panel, and it helps resolve a lot of chronic disease, <laughs> um, not not a great 
not a great profit maker out of it. So, uh, yeah, like, look, obviously, it's never. I think it's one of those things that will never make it into the mainstream because of that. You're you're up against the pharmaceutical interest, industry with it, essentially. Um, when you look at when you look at the research on what it can do, in terms of the range of chronic conditions it can help with. Um, not I'm not saying it can magically heal everything, but ultimately, if you understand how it works, it, and that's why the studies range so massively because um it's not like oh it's designed to help with this one condition it's ultimately designed to help the body function the way it's supposed to function and therefore heal itself yeah i, I don't think that's too much of a tinfoil hat thing to say as well that you know, the if the if we assume that the world is free market forces responding to incentives and there's a bit of information that hasn't quite been disseminated out to the world and that bit of information would result in making 200 quid profit one off <laughs> as a as a device that then doesn't need repeat customers then it's not a very attractive prospect compared to lifetime drug therapy and i guess the other part of it is that there's an incentive from those who are causing the the problems to not fund research that or, or to or to fund research to the contrary so um i did a video about estrogen a few years ago where looking at really the unequivocal evidence at this point of xenoestrogens so artificial estrogens from plastics and fragrances and cosmetics and all this stuff on sperm counts on sex morphology in animals like fish actually changing their uh, their genital structure because of exposure to this stuff but again, no one's talking about it because there's so much of a profit incentive on the other end of keeping the status quo that we're just quietly dropping our sperm count and quietly becoming fatter and more metabolic syndrome and all this stuff um, where the, the data is there if you look for it, but it's not become mainstream. So yeah, it seems like the same kind of thing to me. Yeah, I'm. I've got. I'm optimistic though. I guess that like, it is. It is growing awareness. It, it certainly is. But like, obviously, there's a long way to go to get it out there to for everyone to understand it. But yeah, I'm optimistic that <laughs> that hopefully, yeah, like it will continue to grow. People obviously, people will start to to get it, get exposure to these things. We're seeing things like red light therapy clinics start up now, where people can go in for a session. Um, gyms are starting to look at incorporating them in for the um, performance recovery benefits. So, yeah. Um, but I think you're always going to be up against. It's always going to be a hard thing to to break break through. And I, I would say the same. Just even ar around the blue light industry, and um, the glasses and the the lights and stuff. Um, you've got you've got counter counter research done to say you know it's not a you know this blue light from screens is not harmful yeah you know and i i have a look at the i have a look at the counter research all the time um it's conflicting right but like mm. ultimately <laughs> yeah from what i you know I've, I've spent a long time understanding that not just like some article that comes out that you know someone sends me and goes well look at this it's like ultimately if you understand biology and what how light is interacting in in in, in us it's kind of like uh, yeah it doesn't it doesn't stack up 
the mm -hmm. the counter argument which is like oh it's your eyes trying to focus on a screen for example like yeah there's all these counter arguments that can tell you what may or may not be causing um symptoms i think the answer is probably that there's multiple mechanisms but it's it's yeah. great that this this world is <clears throat> is gaining traction mm. and it's probably quite difficult to um to argue with you know when when you've noticed such a a stark change in your own in your own results as well and and i imagine the testimonials and the people that are always getting getting in touch with you that there is something to it and it, it just takes looking at who's funding the studies as a, a useful marker as well yeah so so we've kind of talked about how you discovered it why no one's talking about it so far the, the kind of big picture goal of it which is kind of recalibrating the body and kind of undoing some of the the plights of modern life um what are some low-hanging fruit for people in general um some low-hanging fruit like i guess people don't ha like have to go out and buy one of these expensive devices right like it, it, certainly like i said it is something that can aid our modern lifestyles and have or it can aid um, recovery from chronic conditions but low-hanging fruit is get outside like uh, like if you can like everyone's got it, it's it's prioritizing and finding time I'm not saying go go and spend eight hours outside but do things like one of the one of the key things is when you get up in the morning get exposure to natural light so it's just get outside for even if it's five minutes it's it's what whatever you can do because that really first of all that first morning light that you get is anchoring your circadian rhythm right so it's taking in the blue light from the sun and that and in the in the morning it's particularly important because um there's there's higher levels of red and and the infrared light in the morning because that's why we've got the the red hues in the sun and so you're essentially you're taking that in and your your brain is understanding the, the specific frequencies of light that are coming in and it will anchor that time of the day then throughout the day it's like if you can get outside at lunchtime or just morning tea breaks get outside and get some sun because again it's the changing of the frequencies of light in the environment uh it's like you're you're checking in with the, the it's keeping your body clock in check with the actual time of the day so that those are really that's a that's an easy low-hanging fruit that doesn't cost anything you know people go outside for smoke breaks well why can't you go outside for a light break you know like yeah. um so that that would be number one because it's free um and then from there it's about looking at how you can um yeah incorporate more of the beneficial light and remove more of the what i would call harmful light well it's harmful in some situations um the first the first one would be um attack the nighttime piece so when the sun sets a set of um you know the blue blocking glasses ones that are verified to actually block out the blue light so you've got to stay away from the clear lens ones or any of those those rubbish ones off amazon it's getting some that are actually specifically created for the to remove the exact frequencies put them on at night um so when you combine getting some some light during the day plus the removal of that light at night the you'll really start to see some benefits um not only with like not only with sleep but um yeah mood regulation and and other aspects like that hormone regulation and some people will say to you well i sleep fine like i, I see all the blue light in the world i don't 
you know, I'm on the screen right before uh, bed, and well, I have. That's, gro- that's a bit of a cognitive bias, isn't it? When people say, "Oh, like I can have a coffee at nine p.m. and I'm absolutely fine." Yeah. Like, well, yeah. well yeah, I hear it all. You can get to sleep, but that's not that's not what we're talking about. And and my qu- my question to them is like they they think they sleep fine. I'm like, well, do you, do you actually know how many times you wake up a night? Like, just because you're not conscious doesn't mean you're actually being pulled out of a deep sleep and you're not actually getting that those restorative phases of sleep i always say like the way you know if you sleep well is like how do you feel when you get up in the morning like do you feel like you need a coffee or do you feel like you're kind of like naturally waking up around sunrise and feel good like yeah um that's like number one is like how you feel like not like oh i sleep i didn't wake up or remember waking up um the next, the, the next actually thing is like when you actually dive into melatonin and is and and re, the research on melatonin. Well, melatonin isn't a, isn't a sleep hormone. Yes, it aids sleep, but so so if I look at screens at night or I'm exposed to blue light at night, I could, I'll be lowering lowering my melatonin by as much as 80 percent. So my melatonin levels will be down. I could have amazing sleep, right? And that could be a genetic reason that I can literally just sleep without melatonin because that's not the end all be all to getting sleep. But if I've got 80% lower levels of melatonin in my system, that is for for longevity and health, that is not good. Like, because what melatonin actually does in the body, it's like a potent antioxidant. So if you think about it, it's like, you're going to sleep, right? And that's obviously we sleep at night to re- restore, repair, and re- regenerate from essentially all the damage we did during the day. And melatonin is the actual the hormone that's flooding the body to aid that. So regardless of whether you sleep well, you need that to actually, you know, un or repair all that damage. So would you not, regardless of your sleep status, want to make sure you have optimal levels of that in your body every night well this is a bit of a kind of unsexy thing to optimize because people think well sleep's kind of binary i'm either asleep or i'm not and i'm Mm. asleep for this many hours or not but actually the fact that you're not conscious and the fact you're probably not measuring it means that we don't really know um how good that sleep is in that time and i think if you take that like for anyone who is still thinking that take that to its logical conclusion is well if you had three shots of whiskey before bed every night, you'd still sleep. But do you think that's really going to be good for your sleep? Mm. Well, no, probably not. And even or having a having a coffee before bed, like if you think you're really that hard and you can just nail the coffee, it's probably not going to be good for your sleep, though, is it? So, so what's going on yeah. there? And as you say, there's all these other factors and hormones and neurochemicals and and things which are really designed to be riding the wave of the day the circadian rhythm the the normal behavior that that just because we're not aware of them doesn't mean that over a year five years ten years that they're that if we're ignoring them we're going to age faster we're going to be more prone to dysregulated blood glucose we're going to have all these other complications from it and it was right under our nose the whole time Hmm. yep so that's why i think like narrowing down on like just that sleep portion is like a little bit narrow-sighted on the on the bigger picture here which is yeah ultimately like trying to trying to align well because I, I think we're so disconnected from nature in terms of like how think how our lifestyles run it's like trying to 
bring ourselves closer to alignment and, and into that. And again, like people were like, oh, do you mean like, you know, like go back and like use candles and like, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just like trying to find ways to, to bring it back into balance. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to ultimately go back and live in nature. Um, but yeah, there's, there's like, like low hanging fruit to literally achieve that. One interesting point I just wanted to make as well on the, on that discussion though, would be, and this is an interesting one, because obviously we talked to a lot of people over the years around sleep and, and, and certainly helping them. And one of the common things we'd get is people would like buy a set of our glasses, right? And they're like, look, I've got insomnia. Like, you know, I want a set of the, the glasses and are they going to fix my sleep? And, um, like we say, well, we don't, sleep is a very complex, um, topic like there are so many different things that factor that will this help it should do yep so you know the some people would get a set of glasses and they would follow our sort of the night protocol of wearing them and they come back to us and say look it hasn't hasn't helped without my sleep and then the question sort of gets raised is like well what are you what are you doing during the daytime like are you are you getting outside are you getting natural light or are you getting any sunlight and that and pretty much every time that there's been an issue it hasn't worked in the evening it's no, they're they're in the office all day and then they're just coming home sort of thing and they're not actually getting outside. And then when you actually look at the research on that and what's happening is the near infrared light that you get from the sun, the and the blue light and the full spectrum of light interacting with your skin and eyes is actually stimulating serotonin. So and serotonin then in the absence of blue light at night converts to melatonin. So if you block all the blue light at night, but you have low serotonin, you you don't have any raw material to make the melatonin. So it's it's kind of like you got to get into the details on that. So I'm like, it's almost more important what you do during the day to to what you do at night. But you ultimately need to do both things together to get the result. Mm, that's an important point that you're you're actually preparing for sleep during the day by building the mm. precursors and that something like blue light lenses and this is what i this is what i love about speaking to you dan because you're you're not just a kind of fanatical salesman of these products and being like oh yeah they're going to fix all your all your problems which is which is the, you know one of the big signs of a, a biohacking guru um and instead you're like well it's going to stack the deck in your favor but you've still got to do the basics <laughs> and so mm. um yeah it's it's great to see can we talk a little bit about red light therapy specifically so i guess you you've covered the the reason for it and that it's it's adding in something which we're normally deficient in what are the benefits that you personally see from using it um yeah so for 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 me well some of the benefits that i got from it were what we already touched on just before which was bringing in that near infrared light at, during in the morning specifically and during the day because that there's that is what directly helps build serotonin, um, and so that was another factor that just boosted my sleep even more. Um, through you know, tracking through the aura ring and whatnot, um, saw a direct increase again in my deep sleep levels from just the introduction of more um, of the near infrared light. So that was one thing. So because people sort of go oh how's it helping with your sleep that seems quite odd like you know like and that it's it's ultimately helping aid 
more of that serotonin to build up during the day. So that, that that's one thing that can help people that are light deficient during the day is using that to try and boost up serotonin levels. You still need to get other spectrums of light as well, but near infrared light is a, a big piece of that. Um, then, then other things for me is um, after my years in the gym as well, I had quite a beaten up um, hip and lower back and quite a, quite a bit of pain. Um, so it significantly helped with that and the reduction is simply, I think I was just inflamed over, <laughs> systemically inflamed over the whole body. So I saw, a, you know, a significant reduction there in, in pain. And then, so those, those are kind of things that I initially noticed. And then more over the long term for me, it's been, because I, I guess for me, when, when I stop using it is when I notice the differences, right? Kind of me, it's, a, it's something I've incorporated into my lifestyle now for the last four years on a near daily basis. Um, but when I go away, for example, I don't pack a, a big, um, you know, <laughs> meter panel into my suitcase and take it with me. Uh, we do have solutions that you can take with you, but you certainly can't do a full body treatment. And um, I notice, like, I notice it helps certainly with sustained energy for me. Um, and just not saying that I don't have a lot of energy during the day, but I just notice, like, you know, that the afternoon slump is a significantly less um, when I've done a morning treatment. Um, yeah, so for me, I, over the long term, and I guess when I look at the reasons why and you look at what, what, the red light therapy is doing is you know it's interacting with um your mitochondria essentially essentially so that's you know that essentially is the organelles um they're the um, energy power plants of the cells in the body so essentially that helps you create more energy um so um if you can stimulate your mitochondria through the use of light and it can use oxygen more efficiently it's going to allow you to produce more atp um and which is atp is essentially what all your cells use and your muscles use for energy so if you can help your cells function better at the cell layer your whole body's going to function better um one of my concerns before using it was that there would be some kind of negative feedback effect from from adding in something a bit like supplementing with melatonin tablets. And then when you withdraw it, what you're noticing from stopping it is the, the withdrawal effect and, and the reduction in function. But actually, the thing I'm quite pleased about and settled with red light therapy is that the, the downstream mechanisms from it, the induction of oxidative stress and the mitochondrial stimulation are really exercise mimetics. And so um, they are what the red light therapy is actually doing is causing a stress to your body and the benefit that you get is the response to that stress. And so there's not really, from my understanding, there's not really a risk of stopping it and worsening your function because you're actually equipping your body to get stronger and to, to, to produce what it needs to produce. Correct. You're almost like kickstarting it back into functioning the way it should function, right? That's, that's the way I look at it. And yeah, I haven't certainly seen anything that would um, show us that it's causing any negative feedback loops or um, there may be some research that you probably like, obviously there's too much of a good thing, whether, whether someone sits there and spends eight hours a day in front of a panel, probably not the best thing to do, but um, in general, like, yeah, if it's almost just those, that small consistent dose of it, it just keeps 
you know, keeps your mitochondria functioning the way they should be. Um, so in terms of dose, how do you use it? And how does the kind of power of a red light box compare to being out in the sun? Yeah, so um, the way the way ultimately you should be using the, these panels is a well-designed panel. You should be sitting or standing around three to six inches from it. Um, if they're designed well, there'll be a very high irradiance or or peak power at that at that um, at that distance. And you, it's not something that you just put on in in the room and it's like an ambient light. It's a very powerful and very bright light um so being at that distance your your body's able to take in that light uh, a lot more light energy um now how does that compare to the sun a lot you're taking in a, a lot more concentrated dosage than you're getting from the sun and that's why it can have such a powerful therapeutic effect because you're essentially isolating very specific frequencies of red and near infrared that have a whole bunch of research behind them and because the the technology we use you can you can kind of narrow in like i want this wave well i want this wavelength and it'll kind of it will give you within so 10 to 20 nanometers a, a big spike of that wavelength so we're taking two two very researched wavelengths at very high power and you're standing very close to it and the body's taking in that that energy of light um, at very concentrated doses. Now, in terms of timing, you only need to spend like 10 minutes in front of a good device um, a day or per, per area. So if you've got a full body panel, for example, this is kind of how I set things up. It's 10 minutes on the front, turn around 10 minutes on the back. I've kind of exposed the whole body to to it. Um, now, like, is there, do you get double the benefits if you spend 20 minutes? Um, no, I don't, it's, like, it's a thing of diminishing returns. It's like, it's like most things. You can't just keep taking more, or doing taking more and more of something and getting more and more benefits um yeah most most of the research points to like like it's it's like again it's so wide ranging but like as a general and that's why we try to be quite general like 10 to 15 minutes is good and then generally if you are trying to treat something like in an acute condition you can do it twice a day um if you minimum of 12 hours apart um, but yeah, what what we see, especially with customers, is that that are, that are using and the feedback is the key is consistency with it. Mm-hmm. So you, and that's kind of why I've got a little bit of a problem with the, like these red light therapy clinics, right? Because you'll go in and you'll spend eighty dollars for a red light therapy session. It may be on a bed or some panels, and you might do that once a week. <laughs> Even then, I don't know. Like at eighty dollars a session, you know, you might just fork that out. But like. The, the real benefits come from the consistency. I'm not saying daily use, but like maybe like three to five times a week is good. Like seven is great, but it's that consistent use over time that you'll really start to see the benefits. It's not like you're going to use it after one session and go, holy shit, like I'm healed and everything's back to normal. I'm not, there, there certainly are some people that are like their mitochondria is in, is not functioning well at all and they will get a literally an yeah. energy boost from it it's like holy shit i've been so deficient in this but for most people it's going to be like you know what like after a month you're just like oh you know like i'm feeling better like and like my pain's like gone and stuff like you know it's these, these things that, yeah <laughs> and yeah it's, it's a no-brainer when you compare 80 dollars sessions 
and what you go four times five times and then that's paid for the just buying a box so yeah something that you informed me of and it's, so I, I suppose just to wrap that up as well that you said if we treat it like exercise as an exercise mimetic then we've got to treat it in a similar way that you, you've got to do it consistently if you do too much you're not going to make you know you do twice as much exercise you're not going to make twice the gains because it's about creating a stress and then or a stimulus and then allowing the response to happen um, so I think approaching it like that and also even in terms of the size of the body area that if you're doing full body you can't tolerate as much of a stimulus compared to if you're doing a specific body part you can you can train that a little bit more often um, and still recover from it but still within within reason um, so you mentioned that there are a lot of devices on the market that either don't isolate the correct frequencies or are just ridiculously underpowered and won't get the result that they're supposed to. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, yeah. So with something that sort of gains a little bit of tra traction and, you know, in the health um, community, then a lot of copycats come out with all sorts of different devices and, and most of them really just don't have any backing of research behind them. Um, they've gone to China and just picked whatever's off the shelf and they're just labeling, labeling it red light therapy and selling it. Most of the ones that, and that creates a lot of confusion out there. Um, people, we get people that are just overwhelmed by all these different devices and all sorts. So you'll find a lot of things like like wraps, like red light therapy wraps that you can put on around certain areas, face masks as well. And I can tell you like straight away, none of those, yeah, 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 they're all over the place. But the issue with them is you can, I can just, I can tell without even looking at the specifications of them because to put a powerful enough LED into it, you, you wouldn't be able to wrap it around a wrap. They're using tiny little diodes that they may be may or may not be the right frequencies uh, i haven't gone that far to even look at that because i can just tell you straight away they're just not producing near enough power out of them they'll be using probably 0.2 watt leds so just to put that in perspective we use five watt leds now with, there's no way a proper panel or a proper therapeutic device you could wrap around something like that because of the construction of it you need to put you've got the led itself then you've got cooling fans to make sure the whole device, and you've got power, like the actual drivers that drive the thing. So you end up with a panel that's, I don't know, it's like a couple inches thick sort of thing, right? So straight away, any of these gimmicks, like there's all sorts of belts and yeah, the face masks. I've seen these things like helmets I've seen coming out, hats, I've seen real life therapy hats. Um, really are just not going to have that irradiance. So irradi irradiance is the measurement of light energy they'll be far too weak and you would need to spend well first of all like they won't penetrate into the tissue enough so that's the first thing because you need the irradiance to actually penetrate in uh, like once you're at a certain irradiance level more just means you spend less time but like it's such a weak amount you just uh, like again it's it's probably rubbish um the the kind of the beauty industry has picked up on it on it a bit and, and they've got the red light mass look they may they may help like at the surface layer of the skin slightly but in terms of the stuff we're looking at in terms of like proper like 
uh, red light therapy and, and the systemic benefits throughout the body, those those certainly won't have any, any benefits there. Uh, the next thing is wavelengths. So there's there's two issues with, with out there. So first of all, it's just completely incorrect wavelengths. So they might just be uh, just uh, generic red light without actually narrowing down to specific frequencies. So that, that's that's one issue. And and commonly you actually find that in so the infrared saunas. So that there's a there's quite a little bit of a mix up because of the word infrared is in there. People go, oh, an infrared sauna and, and an infrared light panel are the same things. So the infrared saunas generally use a far far infrared spectrum, and that's designed just to heat the body. And the body heats, it sweats, and that's detoxification benefits. It um, the heat shock proteins as well. Obviously, the the stress factor there and the cardiovascular benefits that that's providing different. So I guess that's a that's a th- and some saunas are now marketing a gimmick of full spectrum infrared light and it, and it is a bit of a gimmick because ultimately it's going to have 80 to 90 percent of it's going to be the far infrared and mid infrared and it's got some kind of near infrared in there you if you ask them they won't tell you exactly what and how much of it it is but mm, technically it's, it's full spec yeah like i I've, i had a i had a full spectrum sauna and i i sold it after i kind of realize they've been duped on that <laughs> because the, mm-hmm. the the idea is people want this and we get it all the time like can you put a red light panel in the sauna they want to stack their therapies right they're like oh, i want to get it all in one go but it ultimately you're just doing yourself a disservice trying to do that you're just you need to you need to separate them you need to use a proper device to get the right frequencies of the red and the near for red light in a panel and you need to just have a if you want and if you're looking for the benefits of a sauna, you have far infrared sauna that heats you and makes you sweat. Like they're different. Um, trying to combine them, you're just going to get a suboptimal job at both of those things. Yeah, interesting. And it's it's a shame because there is an asymmetry of information that you can buy a device and it looks like it's red and it's lit up. So you think, well, it must be a red light device. Um, but the, you know, most people don't have some way of independently verifying whether that's correct or not and so as you say you've got to first give it the sense check and say does this like this is supposed to replicate the power of the sun so a usb charging or a little batteries <laughs> are probably probably not going to do the trick um the one that you've sent me it's a mains powered thing it has its own fan because it's it's clearly a really sort of um high power device um what ha- are you allowed to or are you able to talk talk about um how you how you ensure quality in your in your stuff and and how how they're kind of constructed yeah yep so it's one one thing i just wanted to quickly touch on on that last which one around looking at the right wavelengths is there's a and i'm not saying this is the wrong thing but we haven't gone down this path is some some of the red light therapy companies now are producing these with like what they call like a multi wavelength right they're like oh we've we've branched out beyond so the two wavelengths we use is 660 nanometer red and 850 nanometer near infrared. And the reason for that is when you look at the research, most the, the core most of the studies or a significant percentage of the studies are using those wavelengths. But there's like these alternate wavelengths, what we call the alternate wavelengths. So you've got like an 830, an 810, a bit of 630 and a bit of 680. So some of these panels now, what they're doing is they're going, well, we're going to actually put 
25% of each wavelength in there. So is it, and, and selling it and marketing it like it's a more premium product mm. because we're giving you more of these wavelengths. But we've actually taken a step back and said, well, it sounds great and it's, and it's a great way to market something because I can more is better, right? More wavelengths, more of this, more of that. But you're diluting the most research wavelengths out there and putting less of them in. So we kind of keep falling back to the science and go, until there's more conclusive research out there, like, and I'm not saying there there is some research that kind of is starting to indicate like these may provide benefits, and I'm not saying they don't, but the core benefits that we know about are in those two wavelengths. So where until things develop more, why would we kind of try and sell this product we're saying is better because we think it is kind of, but it, is it? Yeah, Not sure. there's only 100% of the pie, so you have to take away from some of the more evidence-based ones to replace it yep. with the more speculative ones. Yep, absolutely. And and again, we're not saying, and because I, I don't want to be said like, oh, he said they don't do anything. It's like I'm just saying, like you said, it, we're sticking to the more evidence-based approach here, which is we're going to stick with them until the evidence tells us that that wavelength actually does provide more benefits than this wavelength. Got you. I'm um, sorry, I went on a tangent there, but I forget what your what was your actual so, do, question. Do, how, how do you? So we, we've kind of established that all devices are not created equal. So yep. how do you guys ensure quality and and what's how do you, you? You've said that you kind of select the the wavelengths and the the power based on the evidence. Um, how does that kind of then translate into manufacturing the devices? Ah, uh, right. Cool. Yes. So happy to be pretty pretty transparent here and. Your, uh, 100% of red light therapy devices will be manufactured in China. That is that is the way the world is. There's no manufacturing facilities that would be able to do them outside of, of there. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but obviously that it makes it a low barrier to entry for a dropshipper to come up and just jump on Alibaba and, or, and start selling them. So we've established um, relationships with our manufacturer um, over the years and what we've done is internally we want, we understand what we want to create so we don't just take something off the shelf we've sat down and said this is this is what we want to achieve so we work with their lighting engineering team and go we want to achieve this and so they go away and create that so essentially we've we've got um in terms of like a checklist of what we want so it's the, the first thing is the wavelengths which we've discussed the next thing is is flicker so we haven't really talked about flicker but um that's an issue with lighting in general led lighting and throughout the home and everything so flicker is essentially created through the ac current um in mains which ac current is pulsing is pulsing electricity um so the hertz is normally 60 hertz so it's 60 times a second it's coming in and an led light is a digital light source so it's either on or off so if it's got power it's it's on if it doesn't it's off so it's going on off on off on off our the lens in our eyes um can't see that many frames per second but our brain can simulate that flickering light so it's a neurological stress on the brain essentially the flickering light so ultimately, if you're trying to create a device for health, you don't want something that's actually going to stress <laughs> the body out more. So, um, so Flick is a, a big one, and and that comes down to the manufacturing um, and the use of the componentry inside it. So you can cut corners and put cheap um, drivers in it, and it will look fine. It will still fire up, and you'll think you've got a great device, but it's ultimately it's got Flicker in it, and mm. then that's 
ultimately stressing the brain as you're trying to do a healing therapy so we we so that's one thing we make sure we use componentry to eliminate flicker um, and we also make sure in terms of a radiance power so that I've talked about that before but we we do a radiance testing so we do two things so we when we get our devices we don't just trust we've been you know we do have a relatively good trust but we still test everything so we've got um, a thing like this which is a, a light spectrometer so I can actually validate the wavelengths that are coming off the so we each bit manufacturing run I'll do a um, this is obviously that's coming off my screen at the moment oh, it's probably not going to focus but pretty much we can validate that and we can validate the irradiance with this as well so this is an expensive light spectrometer and um, so we do that the other thing we take care of we look at as well is um, is EMFs so it's a big pro it, it's a big problem with a high-powered electrical device that you're standing three inches in front of um, a lot of electricity running through them so you've got things like electric fields and magnetic fields that, that come off them and a poorly created device will be emitting extreme levels well beyond what's deemed safe so again it kind of comes down to like the health device you're standing in front of this thing what what was the net effect if you were being bathed in like a very high electric field <laughs> did you actually provide benefit to the body or did you put it in more more harm so again we have another meter we do and we again we check and test every batch to make sure where the emf levels are safe now some companies will say oh no emfs is zero and that's again it's a great marketing tool but the reality is it's not it's impossible, it's impossible. to get Correct. Anything that's plugged into mains and it's an electrical device has. So what we do is we look at it from three three inches and six inches because those are the kind of and we we know the like the building biology standards in terms of where that where that should sit as a safe level, and they're very low, very low. So if if you held that this meter right on the device, it's got it's got levels you wouldn't want to be exposed to. So the key is using the quality componentry that doesn't just blast them out. It's using like shielded cabling inside. It's using the quality drivers that will keep it kind of contained. Um, so I guess that's kind of the things we look at. We kind of come at it from a more of a holistic health kind of thing, and it's like kind of like a value of our business is like it needs to be a true health product, not just focusing on is it a, you know red light therapy? We're, we're emitting red light, but is it like is it doing harm in other aspects of health? And yeah. ultimately, because then how can you be like truly a promoter of health and providing products for health if it's again what's the what's the net effect of using it well i, I admire the consistency and it's, it's great to hear that you externally validate the batches and the products for emf and for the, the correct um the correct wavelengths and everything else too um in terms of emf i think like if people listening are concerned yes it's great that the the devices that that done producers are, are checked for that and, and minimize it but there's also likely big leaks in your day-to-day -day life that expose you to emf you know using using your phone to your head all the time or having your wi-fi router in your room and all, all that kind of stuff too but um that's kind of a, a separate rabbit hole that we, we, we it, it is time. yeah but yeah i guess the key with that is yeah like 
and and like it like it's why I didn't really touch on like Wi-Fi and all that. But ultimately, if you just put all that aside, you've got say for example our biggest panel, it's fifteen fifteen hundred watt panel that you are like this close to. You kind of like like electricity is not good for we we are electrical beings and you're interfering with your electrical field by introducing a, a powerful artificial electric field so like those things you just yeah you probably want to make sure it's 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 safe and again and, and that, well that's a whole nother aspect there's more just the electrical safety of them and are they certified to be run on the power grids have they got all the correct certifications again because again nice and easy to drop ship out of china but not actually have them electrically certified. Um, yeah, probably so then, don't want your house burning down from it. Well, a... yeah, I mean that, that that would be it'd be nice not to have the house burning down as well. So um, <laughs> it it's interesting to see this because yeah, we've definitely established that all devices are are not not equal. And the thing that's that I would just urge anyone who's thinking of getting one is just look into it a little bit and because the the price difference. I imagine getting a cheap, large LED panel that, but compared to one that is legit, is probably only like a couple of hundred pounds or dollars in in the difference, and it's not worth it's not worth that price difference to get a cheaper one, when you run the risk of safety problems, but also just not getting a result, not getting the result that you actually bought it for, and because you're not going to go out and buy the the two to three thousand dollar meters to measure it. So you're kind of just like, there's an element of like, oh, well, I hope it's the right ones. And like, well, you could you, be just sitting there wasting all this time. Completely wasting your time. Yeah. Just sat in front of a, a, a box that isn't doing anything. So, <laughs> um, so if, if someone's listening and they're, they're sold on thinking, right, I want to get one, where can they get one from? Cool. So we, um, if you're over based in the UK or Europe, we've got block, blockbluelight.co.uk um, and we can, we've, we can ship out 24-hour delivery throughout Europe and UK. And then Australia and New Zealand, we've got blockbluelight.com.au and blockbluelight.co.nz. Amazing. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, nice to talk. And um, yeah, also if anyone wants to reach out, like, yeah, questions, we love them, fire them through, and um, we're happy to answer them. Amazing.